0: Welcome to Morning Ireland Extra with me, Lisa Pereira. Every day, our reporters gather material for stories that we then broadcast on our daily Morning Ireland radio program. This podcast brings you deeper into those stories. Hello, Tommy Meskel. Hi there, Lisa. Tommy, we're several months now into the COVID-19 outbreak, and I think it's fair to say that an awful lot has been learned about how the illness manifests itself, how people get it, how they react to it, etc., the very di- various different ways that people react to it. But I think everybody would agree that there's still an awful lot yet to learn. And one of the things that had started to emerge in recent times is that what we thought of as a two-week illness is turning out for some people to be much longer than two weeks and that the symptoms that people are getting can sometimes be um, surprising and even distressing and, you know, you get the illness, you're sick for a while, then you get better. It, It might not be as straightforward as that. So what was it you set out to do in the report that you did for Morning Ireland?
1: I suppose I was trying to find out whether this was something that was very rare or if this really was um, something associated with COVID-19 that you you were likely to to have prolonged symptoms and, and that it wouldn't be just the 14 days that we had heard about my editor had gotten in touch with me about looking into this because there had been sporadic media reports about people still suffering from symptoms uh, and just not feeling themselves weeks and months after they first contracted the disease. So I said about looking into this. um, And initially I was thinking... It might be quite hard to find people because even a month ago you know they they might be a bit reluctant to talk about the fact that they had COVID, um and then to find people that had it and are still suffering symptoms and are still willing to talk about it i thought could be a challenge so i looked back on some of the people that we come into contact with over the past couple of months people who had appeared on the program and who had been suffering from COVID 19 and i rang them back just to see how they were getting on um I wrote down about five, six names uh, and I said I'll start with that list, assuming that I'd have to make an awful lot more calls, assuming that most people would have been back to their normal selves. But actually, what I realised was everyone who I rang, they were all still very much not their normal selves uh, and also quite happy to talk about it because I think they wanted to raise awareness.
0: So, Tommy, who is it that you spoke to then?
1: So I about trying to speak to people in different um, age categories, if you like, so young, um, middle-aged, if you like, and, and then people who are, who are slightly older. So I spoke to four people. I spoke to Siobhan Killeen, I spoke to Anne Norton, uh, Professor Paul Garner uh, and Donald Bradley. So they, they suffered... Um, to different extents as well. So Donald Bradley is a Donegal man. Uh, People might remember his homecoming video. He had spent time in ICU uh, and it was really touch and go for him. But there was a a nice welcoming home and people beeping their horns and and clapping as he arrived home to to Buncrana in County Donegal. Uh, Then there was Anne Norton, Uh, who's a a mother of three and who suffered quite badly. She wasn't in ICU but she was in hospital uh, and she really had an awful time of it. Then Siobhan Killeen who will be well known to people, she's a Dublin footballer, she's 27 I suppose her her experience of COVID wasn't too bad. She had cold and flu symptoms, but when we had been speaking to her on the programme a couple of weeks ago, she was confident that she'd be back on her feet uh, in a few weeks' time. Uh, and then there was Professor Paul Garner, who's a professor in infectious diseases at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. And he again sort of had cold and flu symptoms it wasn't a, a horrific uh experience uh it certainly wasn't a pleasant one though but again weeks later he, he was still suffering so so those are the people that we spoke to for the report
0: okay now ann norton was somebody you knew already um she's a local counselor very active person full of energy can, can you just tell me a little bit more about her
1: yeah, Anne Norton, she'd be well known in County Clare. As you said there, a county counsellor. Um, before that, she'd have been known, and she still does this, she, she runs a, a children's clinic here in Clare called the Clare Crusaders. Uh, she has a, a daughter as well, Nicole, who is has cerebral palsy. Nicole will be in her early 20s, uh, and she has two other children as well. So Anne has a hectic life. I've known her for a good few years now uh, and would have known her as someone who doesn't rest on her laurels. He's always doing something. So when I heard that she had COVID, I actually thought that if anyone's back on their fees, it's going to be Anne uh, because she has so much to be doing. But when I rang Anne, uh, I could immediately when she answered the phone, I could tell uh, by her voice uh, that she was still very much feeling unwell. Uh, And then she proceeded to tell me her story and how she had suffered with COVID-19 in the initial few days and how she had been feeling since then.
2: Well, again, it was the tiredness. The tiredness was the biggest thing. Um, but like when you're you're physically not able to to move um you know, okay, my chest was tight um, but again, wouldn't have been um you know it wouldn't have been something that would have scared me, but I was hallucinating um and that definitely. Was the most unusual sensation and the most unusual thing about the whole virus. I was off my head. Um, I was because I was sleeping so much. It was day and night. Um, like I was shouting to my 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 three children. Um, because I wasn't allowed out of my room. Um. First off, I was, you know, isolated and then I was kind of, you know, um, restricted to the room so I wouldn't actually pass on. Um, anything to the rest of the family but I would hear the doorbell ring and I'd be shouting at them to tell them to somebody at the front door and that they needed to go and open the door and then uh, there was knocking on the doors and um, I was shouting at them and uh, tell, and uh, there was nobody there like should uh, eventually uh, they, I think they actually got to the stage that they thought was hilarious. Um, But then at night I was going through different things that had happened to me in my my life, um, like I feel I went through my whole 20s um, during that period of time um, and my 20s was a quite difficult time for me um, because of um, Nicole being diagnosed, having two very young children, my marriage breaking up, Um, you know. So I went through it again while I was actually um, having the fevers and being in bed, and but it was so real. It was as if it was happening. So this was far from again.
1: Far from a flu, a far a, a, oh, much further than from a flu, and and you even ended up in hospital.
2: Yes, um, I I got to the stage that I wasn't breathing properly, and I had actually quite a lot of chest pain, um, and I um, the GP phoned the ambulance straight away and. Um, And again, you know, it was afterwards that I had been told that the ambulance car was here at the house. Um, There was a doctor in the ambulance car. There was the ambulance with two paramedics. um, And I was brought to Limerick. Um, Again, I completely was out of it on the way, you know. Like, I remember very little of it, but I do know that at one stage the uh, paramedic was explaining to um, the nurse in any that I was hallucinating. Um, and uh, in the ambulance, I found. That I was circulated with my with angels, and I kept telling the um, paramedic and again you know you're you're saying things that you don't realize and
1: and if i were to so let's say if I fast forward let's say and and because we're weeks on from it now. But uh, it's it's you're far from back to normal.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I think that's you know the worst part of it. No one knows what to expect. No one knows what 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 is actually at the end of this, sir. Is there an end to this, sir? And I, I, because I'm finding it very, very difficult at the minute because I'm a, a quite a an outgoing person, Um I would. Um, be you know, quite active. Um you know, I love the I love I love good weather, I love the sun, I would be a complete sun worshipper and um I have absolutely no interest. I am still at the stage that all I want to do is sleep. Um I find it very, very difficult um every single day. Um, I have to push myself
1: Has anyone been able to explain to you why, why you're still so sick
2: Uh, No no. and in fairness this week I actually did contact my GP and I spoke to um, uh, one of the doctors in the surgery Emma Kearney and um, she just said that unfortunately no one really understands this but I had been very sick and that I'm being quite hard on myself, that I am pushing myself a little bit, maybe too, too much. And that because I had been so sick and because, you know, there was so, it takes so much out of you that your body actually needs to heal. Um, But I think everybody, you know, even in the medical profession, are finding it difficult because they're learning every day um, about this. Nobody seems to know because even when it came to the symptoms, people have different um, symptoms and um, and now the after effect. But then, you know, you would talk to people and they have had been diagnosed with COVID-19 and they got through it without even knowing that they actually had the diagnosis. Whereas they of the likes of myself, that it literally um, walloped, took every bit of energy out of me and um, completely floored me. Um, and now I'm still as bad as in the tiredness um, what well, can I just ask the you energy that? levels are Cause, so low, like
1: because we're weeks on from when you first got us, like this morning, for example, how are you this morning?
2: um only for I was actually conscious of the fact that I was doing the interview with you I'd be still asleep um I am absolutely exhausted Um I I just want to go back to bed. Um, You know, I look outside and the sun is shining and I'd love to be sitting in it. But the problem is if I go out into the sun, it drains me more. Um, You're
1: you're a county councillor. You you run a charity. You have your children. You have one girl with cerebral palsy. As you say, you're constantly on the go and have been your whole life. Does it get you down, this whole thing and the situation you're in at the moment? Has it gotten you down? Uh,
2: yes, definitely. I think this is this is one that has actually taken, um, you know, the fight out of me. And I think that's, you know, that's in itself is scary.
1: Do you worry about when you'll be able to recover, if you'll be able to fully get back to your normal self? Um, do you Absolutely.
2: Absolutely, because no one knows... Um, the impact that this has taken, um, and for me, uh, I you know I have as you said I have a very very busy life you know like my priority first and foremost is always my family, um you know Nicole is twenty two, she's she'll be twenty three now at the end of August like she's full time twenty four seven, um. And now I'm very lucky that I have um, a, a PA for Nicole and Julia is around, but again for only you know so many hours. But so the rest of it is me and you know my other children. I find at times that you can't be always asking them to do stuff for you around Nicole, but then there's all her care needs um and you know it, it it no matter what it comes back to m- me having to do it and then i've two other children that i want to spend time with um you know we have a lot of work to do on the clinic because we have to figure out what we're going to do how we're going to put it back Uh, together after this and how we're going to run it and because there's going to be a lot of restrictions and the county council again is full-on irrespective of whether you have COVID-19 we still have a lot of people out there that have a lot of problems a lot of issues that need support Um, and uh, at the minute a lot of it's been done on the phone which is great Um, so I don't have to go and meet people, um, but that's not going to last. Um, and then, you know, then there's my own side of things about, you know, things that I like to do. Um, but at this stage, um, I'm lucky, you know, we, my children are laughing at me. I cooked the dinner this week once, um. Uh, because I haven't been able. Um, But at least we're seeing the, you know, we do see the funny side of it. Um, You know, you have to, because otherwise I think I'd crack up.
0: So that was Anne Norton. She's a a mother of three and she's a counsellor in County Clare and she runs a charity called the Clare Crusaders. So it's good that they're able to see the funny side, but sounds like at times it definitely wasn't funny and it was pretty grim. But... What she had said there about her symptoms being, you know, pretty serious, and you can hear it in her voice, um, this was a point taken up by somebody who kind of can see the virus from both sides because he got the virus. This is Paul Garner. He's a professor at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. So, So what did he say to you?
1: So I spoke to Paul more so as a patient than as a medical expert. But as you say there, he was able to offer uh, the the two different perspectives, if you like. So... um Paul spoke about how he, perhaps he didn't suffer from the disease uh, in a, in a serious way, but nevertheless it, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Yeah. But he was keen to raise awareness about this, and he was glad that we were covering this uh, on Morning Ireland because he had done um, he had written a few articles in the UK, and they had got quite a lot of attention. So it told him that, you know. The fact that he was suffering prolonged symptoms wasn't unusual, that this was something that a lot of people were experiencing uh, and they were almost glad, in fact, to see that he had been writing about it. A lot of people had gotten in touch with him and saying that they were feeling relieved after reading his article, uh, that they took some solace in the fact, and uh, knowing that they weren't alone. Paul, as well, was... Uh, Eager for us not to. There's this thing called post viral fatigue, you know, if you get something like glandular fever or something, it, it's not unusual that you would feel tired weeks and months afterwards. Paul was eager that we didn't refer to it as that. Uh, his point was, we just simply don't know what this is, uh, and so much more has to be learned before we can put a name on it. Uh, and also that there were things that didn't tally with post-viral fatigue, that sometimes the symptoms were were even more serious than that, so that it wasn't just a case of, of feeling tired.
0: Yeah, and I think he was quite eager also and quite anxious actually that this problem should be understood in a widespread way, that employers should understand it too, that they should take their uh, their employees' concerns seriously if it turns out that they are experiencing ongoing symptoms. And uh, that, the, you know, there were some, maybe even some neurological effects as well. But anyway, so I think he began by telling you how he contracted it, and how, how he began to realize that he had COVID-19.
3: So on the 19th of March, I, I, I became, uh, I felt slightly unwell, a bit strange. And I self-isolated at this time. And over the next few days, developed symptoms that were um, obvious Obviously, COVID nineteen. They were so unusual, um, and I stayed at I stayed at home and stayed in the house. I started feeling very dizzy and and uncomfortable, um, and extremely tired. There was a, a a real real heaviness through the whole body, and I actually at one stage um, uh, went to bed and and felt felt as though I was dying. The 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 energy just uh, seemed to seep out of my arms and my legs uh, and and my heart was racing and my head was dizzy and I just passed out on the bed and, and uh, uh, into a very heavy sleep and then woke up and it, it's been going on since then for the last 70 days.
1: The advice here in Ireland is, is to self-isolate for two weeks and therefore a lot of people would presume uh, after two weeks um, you're over the the disease but but this is is not the case for many people and you have found that to be true in your own experience it, it has not been a good couple of weeks for you
3: no I, I i mean i i think there's issues around um a number of people that have a very very long illness which includes fatigue and includes um aches and pains throughout the body and and repeated episodes of illness suddenly Coming on now, the issue over whether we're infectious or not is another one. I suspect that we are not. The infection seems to be very early in the illness, and and I was uh, tested um, 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 uh, for virus later on, and uh, and it was negative. I think the the important thing is 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 that the people get these complications that 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 happen late in the illness, so that. People are developing clots in the legs that are spinning off to the lungs these pulmonary emboli they're developing new symptoms over over 20 30 days of illness it is quite an extraordinary illness tommy that um, that people are 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 trying to cope with at home I, I mean obviously some people particularly younger people will will get uh, will get better quite quickly but But some people have this more protracted illness, which which is quite characteristic.
1: Do you think there's a need for more studies on this, um, particularly the the after effects, if you like? um, Because whatever about the main disease itself, even less is known about these prolonged symptoms that people are having. Do you think there's a need for, for further study on this?
3: Well, I think I think there's a, a need now to understand for d- doctors and others to understand what's happening to people at home because it, uh, there's an important awareness there because often many of us are self-isolating and these symptoms are are all new. So when I look at the the, the, the pages on Facebook, people are are uh, saying they go to their GP and, they, uh, and the GP says that the illness should only last for 12 days or their employers say that, they're, um, that they should be better by now. So I agree those studies need to be done, but there's also an immediate sense that we all need to be aware and sympathetic of people. Employers need to understand this fatigue goes on in, in some people for some time. Um, and that that uh, people need to pace themselves. I made some early mistakes, Tommy, uh, by um, feeling a lot better around the day, uh, the third or the fourth week. I felt a lot better. I thought the disease is gone, and 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 I I did a hit session downstairs, and uh, for forty five minutes and got my pulse racing and felt I'm back to where I my fitness where I was before. And it put me back to bed for a week. I couldn't get up for a week. So you get these... um, It's very important people convalesce carefully and don't overdo it early on because it can shove them back. And if if they go back to work perhaps too soon or push themselves, it can make the disease come back. And this is something you see... In other conditions, like like chronic fatigue syndrome and ME, it's a very characteristic in these syndromes. It's well recognised in, in, uh, in some groups of people.
1: Um, as part of this report, I was speaking to one woman who, who again, is experiencing these symptoms weeks on, um, and she likened it to an almost like a depression in that she just cannot get herself to do the everyday things she would have done before. Getting out of bed is a huge effort. She's finding that she's just quite lethargic and can't even do simple things like sit out in the sun. And this is something that, that you've heard of um, as well, that this isn't particularly unusual.
3: Yeah. So I, I, um, I, I'm not an expert in this field other than being an informed patient as uh, being medically trained and being a, a professor in public health, I, I, I understand what she is going through as a patient. So because the symptoms are so strange and because the exhaustion in some people is so, so severe, people actually do feel as, uh, uh, as though there is something mentally wrong with them. On top of that... The the infection we know is in the brain and causes ringing in the ears. Inc- it causes foggy headaches, causes tingling along the arms and the legs. And it's quite possible that this uh, depression that she feels may well be part of the disease. And it's very important that people around her don't... Um, uh, treat her as though somebody that that's just being weak, or that 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 is actually entering a mental illness. It's actually related to the disease and the response of the body. It's very important that people are, are sympathetic and understand what she's going through.
1: You're reluctant to describe these prolonged symptoms. Uh, these prolonged symptoms. You're reluctant to describe them as as post viral fatigue. Um, can you explain to me why so?
3: Yes, I I think it's much more helpful to think of it as COVID fatigue, because the fatigue is there often early in the illness and often late in the illness. And as soon as you, and we do know, we know very little about when the virus is circulating, how much virus that is circulating at different times. So when people start talking about post-viral fatigue, it's as if they're putting a, a lens you know uh, of how the disease is operating we know very little about the disease so i i'm encouraging people to talk about fatigue that is part of covid that you get early in the illness that you get late in the illness and it is it is important to take into account the other the other um Issue over of calling it COVID fatigue is because people can get the fatigue alongside other things that are really quite dangerous that they do need hospital care. So if you talk about it as post viral, then people might think that the, the the pain in their chest or the coughing up of blood or the increased shortness of breath is somehow. Uh, not related to the virus, it's, it's, it's come after, and that's not the case. So you have these many parallel processes happening at, all at the same time, and we need to be careful about assuming that we know how this disease operates.
1: I'm just thinking they're listening to you that this will likely have implications for how hospitals plan to, to deal with patients, how GPs plan to deal with patients and, and even employers, how, how they decide to to handle their employees. Because uh, the, the 14 day um, guideline that we're given isn't necessarily um, can't be applied to everyone.
3: I, I agree, and I think it's important to get this narrative out. I think GPs are rapidly uh, assimilating this. Uh, uh, the GPs are rapidly understanding this. <clears throat> but people um, are uh, are very anxious about going back to work. Um, if they are a little bit doubtful about the fatigue being to do with the disease and perhaps doing... Something to do with them being um, sort of depressed then then they may push themselves to go back to work. their employees they, their employers may be unsympathetic to them saying that they that they're not feeling well, and the intermittent nature of this disease is very common, so people can feel really quite well for a few days. And then suddenly it comes out of nowhere and floors you, floors you sideways. And that happens particularly if you try and do too much. So people, if they rush back to work, may suddenly feel very unwell and then feel that they, they can't then leave. So I think we all need to be very careful and listen and understand what people are saying and, in, and believe what people are saying. People don't lie about these things. These, these are real feelings that they've got and real symptoms that they're having and real experiences for them
1: just finally one one last question if you don't mind um you've written about this and when you have written about it whether it be your own blog or in newspapers, it's gotten quite Mm -hmm. a reaction which i suppose tells you that uh this is something that quite a lot of people can relate to um this isn't just a small few number of people that are experiencing this this seems to be quite common Mm
3: i i wrote this because my own experience of this disease well it was so extreme was so uninformed that I wanted to communicate this to others and I've been absolutely humbled by the response. Um, people have written saying I thought I was going mad until I read what your description. Um, I, I thought that uh, that there was something wrong I thought I was dying people people, Um, uh, say thank goodness other people have gone through this. Thank you so much for illustrating and explaining what's been going on for me for the last few weeks. It's been pure hell. Uh, People are actually taking the article to their own GPs to, to help their GPs understand what they've been going through because it's not easy to articulate all these myriad of different things that are happening to people.
0: So that's Professor Paul Garner. He is a professor at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, and he's really making the case that, that there needs to be a wider understanding of how this illness affects people in, in, in longer context than just the two weeks. Tommy, I think there there is a, a kind of a feeling, there certainly has been in the past, that um, younger people, while they might not be immune to the illness, they tend not to get as as sick as, as 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 other people and particularly elderly people. There have been some st- statistics lately which show a kind of a slightly worrying increase in the number of young people who are contracting the disease. Um, as we get out and we socialise more, younger people tend to have more contacts, etc. But you spoke to a younger person who also not only had the disease, but had lingering effects. Tell us more about that.
1: Siobhan Killeen, so she's a Dublin footballer, young fit and healthy and busy as well she also works as a radiographer at the matter hospital as i said earlier we had her on the program a couple of weeks ago uh, and when i was speaking to her back then she had just found out that she had COVID. she was one of the early cases um, one of the reasons we had her on the program is because so few people were were willing to speak publicly about the fact that they had contracted the disease and really what was on her mind back then she was self-isolating in her room and she was just eager to get over it to do her 14 days and to get back out onto the front line. uh, She spoke about feeling guilty that she wasn't in work, guilty that she might have potentially passed it on to somebody else. But what was keeping her Um, Sane, I suppose, was the the targets and the aim of of getting better and and getting back out, as I say, onto the front line and and contributing uh, towards the battle uh, against COVID-19. Unfortunately, however, while she did return to work after her 14 days, when it came to returning to exercising, something that she loves, that wasn't as simple. And weeks afterwards, she was still finding it hard to get back to uh, her her full potential, suffering from a nasty cough, which is unusual for her. She didn't have one before uh, and just feeling lacklustre and coming home from work and feeling exhausted. So when I spoke to Siobhan, I began by asking her to describe herself before COVID-19.
4: Yes, yeah, so I was young, fit and healthy. I would have trained four times a week with the team and then I would have had to do a few additional sessions myself, just on return from quite a bad injury, I would have been rehabbing quite a lot. So I would have been very active, you know, working eight to five in the hospital and then overtime on top of that and then training every day. So I was constantly on the go and very busy, very active, but very healthy as well.
1: And you enjoyed jogs. Jogs was something you often did uh, on a given evening. Is that right?
4: Yeah, I was just trying to get distance into my legs after the injury. So I would have been out trying to um, get my fitness levels back up to where I would have liked them to be. Just a bit additional to what we were doing with the team.
1: When did you contract uh, COVID-19 and what was it like?
4: So I think I showed symptoms first on March 23rd, Sunday evening. I had been in work all weekend. I trained all weekend as well. Both that morning I had been in work and then went on a run and I felt fine and then that evening I came down with typical flu symptoms I just became very warm and I actually was just giving out about the heating in the house for about a half an hour and then I had a headache so I knew something was up and this was like we knew what Covid was but it was still early stages so I went to bed immediately then and the whole night I had body aches couldn't sleep my back was killing me my legs were aching and then the next morning I rang in to work sick and from there I went about to test.
1: And then, so we were told then it's, it's sort of a, a two week sort of window when you, you have your, your worst symptoms and you're infectious. Would you tell me what were, what were those two weeks like for you?
4: So I was mainly only sick for the first week. I was kind of bed bound for a few days and with headaches, body aches, temperatures. My lungs seemed okay. I never really developed a cough or a sore throat. I was I live at home with my parents, so I was completely isolated in my bedroom. Never left the room only to go to the bathroom. So I was lucky enough that I didn't really have to get out of bed or you know, I was well looked after by my parents. But then the second week I started to feel better. My energy levels returned to somewhat normality and I tried to exercise sometimes in my room but that's when I started to develop a sore throat and a cough only during and after the exercise now my energy levels were still low like I'd start exercise and then I'd have to stop quite quickly so the two weeks the first week I was quite unwell with that kind of fluy like symptoms my lungs were okay in the second week they improved but as I tried to do a bit of exercise or rehab in the room I started to kind of get a cough and a sore throat but Towards the end of the second week I definitely felt well. I definitely felt well enough to go back to work or, you know, normal life. So I was lucky that I wasn't I wasn't too unwell. Like there was a lot of people that got very sick from this coronavirus, but I was one of the lucky ones, I think.
1: Would you say you're back to your normal self?
4: I would say I'm close to it, if not nearly there. It did take a while. I you know when i came out of my two weeks i think we had only had coronavirus in ireland for like three to four weeks so there wasn't a huge number of people that had come out the other end so we were still learning a lot and i definitely had the idea that it was a two-week virus or at least till your symptoms eased and then you were back to normal but that i found definitely wasn't the case um you know i i My energy levels returned to a good enough level that I could go back to work and I could get through that sort of thing. But in terms of exercise, it took me a long time to get back to feeling anyway like my old self. And even after that, so say a few weeks after I had got out of isolation, in terms of what I could do in training or running, that returned to my normal level. But afterwards, I was coughing like mad. Um, and I was developing sore throats during exercise sometimes.
1: So and um, what's the situation now? Like, how, how would you know that you're still not back at your full capacity, if you like? What, what are the telltale signs?
4: Well, it's just like after exercise, I'd be flat out coughing. Um, and I never had any lung issues. I don't suffer from sports asthma or anything. So I would have thought my lungs were always really healthy. And... It's just this cough that I can't control after I exercise. And there's been a few days, not this week, but maybe a few weeks back, where I would go to exercise and I just couldn't get going. I just didn't have the energy. And there was no reason to explain it. Like I was sleeping well, eating well, resting when not in work. So I'd no other reason to explain why I was so fatigued. And I actually found this a lot among my colleagues. I would one that was training for a marathon so he could do unbelievable distances in the legs without a bother and he was maxing out at 5k, he couldn't get past the 5k mark for weeks and he's still not anywhere near where he used to be. Now I've been lucky that I've had a few tests done in the cardiology department and with the respiratory team and my lungs are back functioning really well, it's just that this virus isn't a
0: two week virus, It's it takes a lot longer to get back to normal. So this virus isn't a two-week virus, says Siobhan Killeen. She's only 27. She's a Dublin ladies footballer. So we're, we're seeing more and more from the accounts of these people that this this really can go on a lot longer. And those are three people you've spoken to so far. The, the final person you spoke to is somebody we actually saw on our televisions. Uh, I think much to his surprise, he was given a very enthusiastic welcome when he came back to his home. And I think... The reason amongst his neighbours was that he had been seriously ill. So that was Donald Bradley from Bunkrana. Um, You spoke to him, Tommy. What did he tell you?
1: Yes, I, I spoke to Donal, I actually, I rang his daughter's phone, first of all, Julie, because we had spoken to Julie uh, on Morning Ireland just after Donal had come out from ICU and after that video went viral. The reason we spoke to Julie and not Donal is because Donal was actually too weak to speak to us. When I rang Julie, uh, I got through to, to Donal's wife who said that Donal was out walking, that this was part of his um, recovery, if you like, and he was getting out every day to walk five to ten kilometers a day so I was thinking this is a man who's who's on the rebound uh, quite quickly but his wife said far from us that he's still not his normal self uh, he's going to bed early uh, and just feels a lot weaker than than what he would do uh, usually and then uh, Donal rang back I spoke to him and he confirmed all of that and was quite eager to get that point across to people that this is not uh, something that you recover from after two weeks he says, even as I was speaking to him, which was weeks after he had been in ICU, he said simple things like even lifting a towel, he could feel the weight in the towel, which is something that uh, usually wouldn't register with people. But um, to get his full story, to to, to hear how how those initial days when he contracted the virus had been to hear about the more intense days when he was brought into ICU and then to hear about the recovery afterwards. Uh, I first began by asking Donald when he contracted the the virus uh, and how how he felt in those initial days.
5: Uh, March the 20th was the first day that I was uh, diagnosed with the virus. Uh, That was in Letterkenny General Hospital, uh, attending a respiratory uh, check and they discovered that uh, I had pleurisy on both lungs and that's what was causing my breathing difficulty. Also a high temperature, both led to diagnostics of the COVID-19. From that then it followed on that they obviously kept me in and within a, two days i had to be put on a ventilator in letterkenny and transferred to galway university hospital
1: and it it got very serious then at, at that point uh, at, at this point it got in, very serious you're at you're that an, point are you in icu then at this point
5: I was transferred to ICU in Galway. I was in ICU in Letterkenny and then they put me on the ventilator and sent me, transferred me to Galway University Hospital where I was, from all reports, stayed on the ventilator for six days.
1: Do you remember it?
5: Obviously, that was oblivious to me.
1: Mm. You don't remember it?
5: Absolutely nothing.
1: Which is probably a good stage. thing.
5: Good thing for me, but probably not a good thing for the family mm-hmm. because of all the restrictions in travel and uh, uh, visiting restrictions. Uh, we or they got Julie as the spokesperson, and she had a routine while I was in Letterkenny or in Galway. She had a routine of ringing at set times of the day and then she relayed on to the rest of my family. I have six children.
1: And tell me then, at at what point then are you uh, discharged?
5: No, I was only discharged from Galway University Hospital on the 9th of April.
1: And can I ask you, just to maybe backtrack a bit, what sorts of symptoms did you have with COVID-19 and how bad did it get?
5: As I say, the first indication of something not right was the high temperature on the Thursday before I attended Kenny on the Saturday. The high temperature and breathing difficulty. Those two were the only two... Uh, and obviously, they were family recognized that my color had changed. The color, my, I got very pale. And Julie actually was in Scotland on Friday, and when she heard that I was attending for the respiratory in Saturday, she drove home on early Saturday morning, and she had, she took me to Lella Kennedy General Hospital
1: w um, were you in um, great discomfort? Or was was it extremely painful? Did you know that this was something serious?
5: At that moment, no. Uh, just I thought regular check to see what this issue is. Certainly not at that time. Not thinking about this COVID nineteen. Certainly not. But and then it become very apparent, very quickly. In Lirikini, they obviously knew uh, the symptoms that I had and I was pointing all the directions were to to the virus.
1: Mm-hmm. Remind us then, so you, you get discharged, in fact, will you remind us too, what happens when you do get, get discharged because it's it's what happens at that point that uh, you come to the attention of, of all the rest of
5: us. Well, what happened there... Uh, I got the discharge notification early on uh, <clears throat> April the 10th, and obviously I rang home to say that I was getting discharged. So Julie and my wife, Denise, uh, came up to collect me at Gen- uh, Little General Hospital. Again, it was great relief, it was great, right, getting home. As we all know, probably home is one of the better places that you feel you recover more quickly. So, from that, travelled down the road, which is about 28 kilometres away from from Bunkrana. And uh, to the total surprise, as we entered the area where I live, Burwood in Bunkrana, all the neighbours were out, and I was totally taken back. But it was a brilliant welcome home, and it was a great boost, I think. Generally to everybody, Uh happy-go-lucky story that here we have survivors of this and I happen to be the lucky one.
1: But at that point, and we sort of saw it in the video too, like you're, you're still very frail. Is that fair to say, even Absolutely. though you're no longer seen as being um, infectious, yeah, the, the exactly. disease had a, an awful um, impact on you and, of course, your your time in ICU as well?
5: Well... The impact to, just to the phys- physique of, no, I'm not what they call a, a sizable person, but it just drained the muscle power out of me completely. And I, 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 I was nearly unbelieved. I couldn't believe in myself. When I got out of the car, how weak I was. When I went over to kind of thank the neighbours for the welcome home. It was then I realised, God, I'm as weak as, as I said on the thing, I'm as weak as water. Absolutely no power, absolutely. And the recovery plan, again, my doctor, Dr. Kira Steele, she rang me the following day and she said, expect anywhere up to about six months for a full recovery and take it in gradual steps of what you done, and I used uh, walk daily, not long, at the, at the beginning I could hardly do 100 yards. I had to turn and come back. And then from that I progressed. A lot of other factors kicked in also. I started to eat well and started to sleep better. So all those factors all contributed to the recovery plan. And at the present time, now seven weeks later, I'm doing anything from 8 to 10 kilometres most days. Very seldom would I miss a day because I have a routine set in and, a, and, a, and thankfully also the weather has been 100%.
1: Would you say you're back to your normal self though?
5: Absolutely not. Absolutely not, no i uh, still get tired later in the evening. I'd be waking fairly early in the morning, but um, about 10 or half 10 at night now, certainly it's time for bed.
1: When you were explaining to me how weak you were, you were using an example of um, the shower and that. Will you just tell us that
5: uh, story as well? The Obviously, I shower every day, and the, on the very... First day, the day after I come home, which was a Sunday, I went for a shower. Struggling also again, very weak in the shower. But I came back out of the shower and I, I, I dried myself off with the towel. And I just said to myself, "Funny." I said to Denise when I come down the stairs, "I said it's very, it's crazy that you can say after drying myself with a towel that the towel felt heavy. That's how weak." I knew then at that stage how weak it was.
1: Would you say it was just unbelievable? Just to sum us all up, would you say that um, you were so sick and uh, and possibly even close to you know your family weren't sure if if you'd probably make it out the other end, perhaps? And and knowing that, do you have a sort of different perspective on things um, after it all?
5: Absolutely, I have another outlook on life. Life as for living. In the sense of the word that every day is a good day now. No matter how bad it is, you can always say maybe tomorrow will be better. At the present time, I'm so grateful to have given be given the second chance.
0: I'm so grateful I've been given a second chance, says Donald Bradley from Buncrana. So, Tommy, it is worth pointing out also that some people get no symptoms at all and some people get mildly sick and then get better. So it isn't across the board. Part of the research I'm sure is going to be into why do some people get sicker and for longer and why do some people not get sick at all. Tommy, this was an important contribution that you've made to our understanding of the illness and we'll continue to cover this issue as much as we can both on Morning Ireland and this po- in this podcast series. So Tommy Meskel, thank you again for your report. Thanks Lisa. You've been listening to Morning Ireland Extra. It's a podcast where we go deeper into some of the stories you may have heard on our daily radio program. You can find that program, Morning Ireland, on RTE Radio 1, on the RTE Radio Player, and on the RTE News Now app. I'm Lisa Pereira. Thanks for listening.